0: Will you pray with all your power? 2 Thessalonians 3. 2 Thessalonians 3. Let's read the first five verses. Then I'm going to ask for the Lord's grace and help as we look at this passage today. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. It reads, Finally, brethren, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful. Who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you. That ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. And into the patient waiting for Christ. Let's bow our heads. Our Father, You have named this day the Lord's day. And it is our day to remember that Christ rose from the dead. And we have gathered in His name because we love Him. Because we have Seen something of his beauty, because we have seen something of our own sin and wickedness, because we have tasted his word and it is sweet, because even when we hear of his judgment, though it is bitter, our hearts say it is right that sin be judged. We have gathered today because we love your grace. We would love to see Your grace reign and rule in our lives. We have gathered here today in hopes that Your Holy Spirit, who is always gracious, will pour out an anointing on us today. So, Father, cause Your Word to run. We pray that Your Word would be glorified by it each each of us who prays and preaches and listens. We pray, Father, that You would cause our hearts to be kept from Satan. That we would not sin in our laziness or in our pride, in our disinterestedness, or in our prizing of other things before You. We pray that we would do and keep on doing those things which honor Christ, and that our hearts would be directed into His love and established in the faithfulness of Jesus. So we ask these things in confidence that you will give them because you have commanded that we pray for them. Amen. We read each night with our children and pray with them. Let me rephrase that. We read most nights when we are not at church or meeting with people or out past ten. And we, we have a catechism that we have memorized with our children. One of the questions in that catechism is, what is prayer? It's the children's catechism, and it says, the answer is, prayer is asking God for things that he has promised to give. That's a pretty good definition. That's just for children, it's only about ten words long. Sure, we could go longer. But as a start, let's think that way. Prayer is asking God for things that He's promised to give. There are some things in Scripture He's promised. I want to encourage you today to get the freebies. So we're going to look at some of those. There are some times you have to say, if it be thy will. And there are some times you don't need to say that. You need to pray with confidence. I hope to labor so that you will have confidence. Then if only we can just do it. Because He will give these things to us. That's what this is about today. That's what 2 Thessalonians 3, 1-5 is about. It's about asking God for the things He says, I'll do this. So let's pray for those things today. Now before we get into the passage, let's look at the first verse and the first line. There's two words here that we need to examine. Finally, brethren, pray for us. Brethren and us. Let's get to figure those out first of all. Who is the us? We'll go back to chapter 1, verse 1. Most of you should have this on one page or two pages in your Bible. Go back to 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 1, and tell me who's the us? First word of the book. It's Paul. Paul. And then some other guys. What are these guys doing here? Sylvanus and Timotheus. Timothy and Sylvanus. This is a missionary team. Right? Who was Paul but a missionary. So we have Paul the missionary and two guys on his missionary team. We know there are many more. This is a missionary team saying, pray for us. When we say a missionary team, what do we mean? We mean a church planter. Now, we're not against other kinds of good works. But specifically, what was the Apostle Paul? Have you read the book of Acts? In Acts 13, the Apostle Paul is sent out to plant churches. He didn't drill any wells. I'm not against drilling wells, and I'm not against starting orphanages, but Paul the Apostle didn't do that. Again, that's not necessarily saying it's wrong or sinful. But Paul was a missionary because he went to places that did not have a reproducing body of believers and he planted churches there. He did it many times. Almost a score. If you count up the places in the book of Acts. He was a church planter constantly. And in this letter, 2 Thessalonians, we see him writing back to one of the churches he planted. Now, This is a miracle. It's a miracle church. Because that's what the second word here says. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren. Who's the brethren? The church in Thessalonica. Who were they? They were amazing. And when I say they were amazing, I'm not necessarily saying that amazement came from themselves, but this is amazing to see. again, let's go back to the book of Acts. In Acts 17 verses 1 to 10, Paul preached to this group. Well, you, don't, you don't have to turn unless you'd like. you can turn if you'd like to. But in Acts 17, 1 to 10, we hear the story of how Paul planted the church in Thessalonica. He did it in three weeks. That's amazing. That's a miracle. Acts 17.2 says, three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Now let's just say that Paul got in there on a Sunday, and he left on a Friday. That's still like 27 days. It's under a month. And the church was planted. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it refers to the pastor. In the church. So Paul was there for three weeks, four weeks at the most. And he plants this church. Now I'm a church planter, and I have two degrees from American universities. Some people would call me a professional, though I would not take the title for myself. I've been working eight and a half years on one church. And I'm wondering and hoping and slowly we're going to start moving away from it. Paul preaches in a month. And this church is is ready to go. They have a pastor that's strong. That's not because Paul was brilliant. That's because the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was still alive. That's a miracle. Imagine your pastor if he was here for a month and then said, That's enough. I'm leaving now. How many of you would still be worshiping here? That's a miracle. But immediately in Thessalonica comes this persecution. There's there's uh, Jews who don't like the message. So they, they oppose Paul. That's Acts 17 again. So they're opposing him. So these believers, when they choose for Christ, they're making a decision that's serious. Because you're going to be persecuted. So they kick Paul out of the city. Or the believers urge Paul to leave about a year or two later Paul writes this letter so Paul's been a missionary for about seven years when he arrives in Thessalonica he's there for how long? three weeks persecution forces him to go to the next city and he's already got a pastor there that's what 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us this is amazing But if you read 1 Thessalonians, go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We just need to get this context. 1 Thessalonians 1. And if you went to Acts 17, now it's going to take you longer to get to 1 Thessalonians, but it's your own fault because I told you not to go there. Verse 8 says, look at verse 7. So that we were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Verse 8, for from you, who's the you? the believers in Thessalonica for from you sounded out the word of the Lord not only in Macedonia and Achaia but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not speak anything this is before smartphones and email he says your faith is going everywhere this is about a year or at the most a year and a half after Paul planted the church Within 18 months of planting this church in a month's time, their, their faith is so mature that it's spoken of everywhere. This is an amazing church. This is a model church. This is the kind of church I would want to join, and I hope I'm planting. Now, these are the people he asks to pray for him. Would he ask us to pray for him? How many times does Paul ask for prayer? Two times. Colossians 4, and he asks the Thessalonian believers. That's it. Now, how many times does Paul talk about prayer? Approximately 33. Now, I say approximately because I didn't count. I I got that from A.W. Pink. Uh, Paul talks about prayer all the time. But how many times does he actually ask for prayer in his letters? Only twice. Colossians 4, and he asks the Thessalonians. Would he ask us to pray for him? It's almost as if he says, I'm not going to ask the Corinthians, because I know they won't do it anyway. (laughs) Would he ask you, I'd actually like you to be on my prayer team. Well, he does ask them. And since he asked them, and we get to read his letter, he's asking us through the Holy Spirit. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. Now, we've got this context down. Who's the Paul? The missionary. He says, you strong church, uphold me in your prayers. And he's now going to give a list of five prayer requests. One per verse. One in each verse. I don't want to say one per verse. None of them are perverse. So there's one in each verse, and you can just mark in your Bibles, right on the side there, one, two, as we go through this, and I'd encourage you to underline and mark here. There's one more thing we need to notice before we get started. And I'm looking at the clock, and I'm well started in my time. There's one more thing, and that is, finally, the first word of verse 1. Finally, groups together this whole paragraph. He's been talking about things in chapters 1 and 2, the second coming. Details about the tribulation. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, finally, okay, I'm going to put it all in a summary. Verses 1 to 5 are the summary. Verse 6, what's the first word of verse 6? Now, he starts a new topic in verse 6. But verses 1 to 5 is one topic. This whole section is about prayer. So in this section on prayer, we have two prayer requests in verses 1 and 2. And then in verses 3, 4, and 5, we have, we have a little bit of a change. Look down at verse 3, the first word of verse 3. What's the first word of verse 3? Yeah, it's kind of, you know, you know what it's like when you say, I love you, honey, but... And then you know the but means everything about the I love you is now canceled. Because <laughs> there's something I need to talk to you about. Paul changes direction. You know the word but. It, it changes directions. Paul says, pray for me this way, verses 1 and 2. But, and then he's going he's gonna to shift. And you see the pronouns in verses 3, 4, and 5. He starts saying you, you, you. Look at verse 3. The Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Verse 4. We have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both... And on and on. Verses 3, 4, and 5, it's about... You, the Thessalonian believers, verses 1 and 2, it's about Paul and his missionary team. So verses 3, 4, and 5 are about the attitudes or the way they should think while they're praying. So pray two things while you're thinking this way. Is it possible to really think a certain way and not to have it affect your prayers? The other day, I was visiting my mother two weeks back. And in the morning, my habit is to pace while I pray, to walk, because I will get sleepy if I sit down, as some people are. (laughs) I can sympathize because I get sleepy when I sit down, so I pray by walking. It's always a bit of a concern to me when I'm praying with someone who says, Let's kneel, because I know that's a very respectful posture. (laughs) It's also a more relaxed posture for those of us with ADD. (laughs) And as I was pacing, my mother came out and said, Oh, what are you doing? Are you just thinking or are you praying? And I said, yes. Because I, I, I tend to read the Bible and then try to think through it and pray through it. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's saying, pray this way and think this way. Verses 3, 4, and 5 are the kind of attitudes of the thought life. We have to pray that way too. So for our purposes here, we're going we're gonna to find a prayer request from each of these verses. Now let's see them. Verse 1. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Uh, no, in English it says may have free course. That's four words in English, but in Greek it's only one word. It's the word run. Pray for us that the word of the Lord would run. Run? How does the Bible run? Well, that's the same word, and you might want to mark down in your Bibles, beside this word in verse 1, it's the same word as found in the story of the prodigal son in Luke fifteen twenty. When the father is watching for the prodigal son, what does he do when he sees the prodigal son coming? He runs. And smothers him with kisses. That's the same word as here. Not the kissing, the running. Pray that the word of the Lord would run in the same way that the father ran to the son. Now, do you think that the father ran with some kind of while I'm out just kind of laxadaisically jogging along. It was a wholehearted commitment. That's what we're supposed to pray for the Word. Pray that the Word of the Lord would run. And then there's another verb in verse 1. What is it? And be glorified. Now, wait a minute. The Word's not doing the action here. Right? It says... Pray that the Lord would be glorified. Now, if the Word was glorifying, okay, the Word's doing the glorifying, but the Word's not glorifying, it's having the glory done to it. Right? You see that? So that means you and I are supposed to be doing the glorifying. Pray for us that the Word would run in such a way that people would glorify it. What does it mean to glorify something? Means two things. It means to understand it and to happily receive it. You can't cut out the word happily. It's not enough to receive the Bible, you have to happily receive it. God commands you to be happy. It's not enough for you to say, I'll believe in Jesus. Sheesh. I'm going to preach this week to the young people, and we are praying that they would be converted, saved. But the kind of salvation we're looking for is not someone who says, All right, I'm going to do this because I have to. But rather that they would understand it and happily receive it. No wife is glorified by a husband who says, Here's your flowers. I have to because it's our anniversary. Glorifying means you understand it and you receive it. To understand it means it has to be taught. Which is why Paul, when he planted this church, it said he reasoned with them. When we hear the Bible preached, we are hearing the Bible taught. And if the Word of God is not clearly explained, then we didn't do what Paul did. And how can this prayer be answered? Because in order for it to be glorified, it has to be understood. We need to be teaching the Word in order to happily receive it. This has happened many times in history. In 1904, in Wales, in September of 1904, a revival broke out. When a man was preaching at a church, suddenly people began to be converted. They invited their friends, and they said when he was done preaching, come back tomorrow night and teach us. The next night, more people came. Over the course of eight months, 100,000 people are recorded as having been added to the church membership in Wales. And for the next two to three generations, the churches were revived. It wasn't something that lasted a week. It was a movement of God's Spirit that happened in the Korean revival in 1884 to 1910. That was years I just said. 1884 to 1910. How many years is that? 1884 to 1910. That's a revival that goes on for a generation. What country sends out more missionaries per capita than any other country in the world? South Korea. Now, they don't send out more missionaries than America because America has 350 million people. But per capita, South Korea sends out more missionaries than any country in the world. And that dates back to 1884 to 1910. The Word ran. God answered this prayer. He'll do it. Pray that this would happen. And I just found something this morning when I was reading. God answered this prayer for Paul. This letter was re- written when Paul was in the city of Corinth. In Acts chapter 18. In Acts 17 he plants the church of Thessalonica. Then he goes to a few cities and ends up in Corinth in Acts 18. He's in Corinth when he writes this letter. He's there for a year and a half. While he's there he starts preaching and no one's converted. And there's persecution again. And he's so discouraged. He writes a letter to the Thessalonians and says, pray for us, that the word of the Lord would have free course and be glorified. And in Acts 18, verse 8, it says, and many turned to the Lord and believed. He writes the letter and says, pray for us. Evidently, the strong church prayed and God answered. Why wouldn't we expect that? We should expect that, shouldn't we? That's what faith is. It's expecting God to do what He has said He'll do. This is I just saw it this morning. It was so encouraging to my faith. This is happening, this prayer is being answered by bits and pieces, by starts and fits at our church in Elam. With about twenty three members. We are encouraged that people are genuinely converted. We know that's a work of God's spirit. But oh, I pray for you and ask you to pray for us that the Word would run among the Tsongas. There are so many villages to be reached. Pray that the Word would run. Pray that it would be glorified. Prayer request number 2, verse 2. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Who's the we in verse 2? It's Paul, the missionary. There's two words to describe these men. They're unreasonable and wicked. If you have a modern translation, it'll say maybe perverse. It's a word that can mean insane. They're insane! They're crazy! pray for missionaries, they would be delivered from crazy people. Maybe you need to pray for a pastor that way. <laughs> what kind of insanity is this? The verse tells us. It's right there. It's, it's wicked men. These are not people who have mental problems, who are not able to drive a car because their minds don't work correctly. These are people whose hearts don't think correctly, don't feel correctly. They're morally insane. They're morally perverse. They're twisted. And Paul says, pray for us to be delivered from morally perverse people. It's the kind of people who don't understand that a mother should preserve her baby. And though we love all men and all sinners, it's the kind of people who say, we don't understand that one man should marry one woman. And I don't know everyone that's here, everyone that's listening to this, but God calls that a problem of the heart that will affect your mind. He calls it perverse and wicked. It's a thing to be delivered from. And all those who come to Christ can be delivered from it. But Paul says, pray for us to be delivered from these kind of people. What was happening to Paul when he wrote this? He was being persecuted. He has to run from cities before they kill him. In Acts 18 it says, one of the men who was converted, they dragged him before the council and beat him. He looks at that and says, pray for us to be delivered. That was one of the new church members. Paul had a hard life. And he prays for deliverance from wicked men. Now, look at the final phrase of verse 2. It says, for all men have not faith. Now, this phrase binds verses 1 and 2 together. The four there is a reason for verses 1 and 2. For all men have not faith. The for there tells us why are we supposed to pray? Because of this reason. All men have not faith. Or in modern English, pray for us, verse 1, because a lot of people are not yet converted. That's what Paul's saying. Pray that the word would run and pray that we would be delivered from morally insane men because many people are not yet converted. Paul is not praying. Pray for us. He's not saying, pray for us to lead a comfortable life. Pray for us because someone gypped me when I bought the air conditioner. He's not saying, pray for us because the man who was supposed to repair the pool didn't come on his appointed day. He's saying, pray for the Word, pray for me that I wouldn't be killed. Why? Because living missionaries evangelize more than dead ones. That's what he's saying. Now, we don't think about this often in our culture. This makes sense more for 90% of the world outside of America. How many of you went to bed last night wondering if your home would be broken into as you slept? Some of you didn't even lock your cars. What do you mean, some of us? Some of you left the keys in your car. Well, you don't even understand the context that the majority of the world lives in. The majority of the world lives in desperate fear of this. And the whole world before 1776. Why... Because Jesus said in Matthew 6, he spoke about heaven saying, where thieves do not break through and, and steal. Because all those people knew what thieves were. We only know about thieves because we hear, you know, stories about thieves. Or that one time your child took an extra cookie or something. I mean, that's, that's the way we teach our kids. Have you ever taken a cookie from the cookie jar? Where <laughs> We're evangelizing, we say, to the children. Have you ever broken into someone's home and stolen things? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The majority of the world recognizes this is the way we live. This is the fear we're under constantly. This prayer request in verse 2 makes a lot more sense in Africa than it maybe does to you today in Sheraton. So pray for people in Argentina. Pray for people and your missionaries, that God would deliver them from morally insane people who can't think clearly and without any good reason will break in with guns and beat women. Proverbs 29.18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. The word vision there means revelation from God or the Bible. Read it this way. Where there is no Bible, the people will perish. The people there means society. Where there is no Bible, the society will be destroyed. Most of the people of the world today live that way. So pray for your missionaries when they go there, when they leave this unusually blessed land that we should all pray today at 3 o'clock for. And we should sign petitions for it. Pray for the people who leave this wonderful land when they go to other places. The Sunday we arrived here, the 10th of May, just two months back, I called on Skype to talk to some of my church members and I heard that one of the grandmas, there's a lady in our village who's in her 80s. We don't know how old she is because civilization hadn't reached her before she was born. So they don't record dates and things, but she's well into her 80s. They broke into her home at three in the morning and they beat her. What do you beat an 83-year-old woman for? She'll give you anything she has. That's the kind of society your missionaries are sent to. And of course, on the 2nd of December, Amy and I experienced that. Pray for your missionaries that they would stay alive so they can reach people with the gospel. That's a command. Now, I find that that's a very masculine way to speak. If I say to my wife, we just need to stay alive long enough to give the gospel, it's hard for a woman to take comfort when she knows her job is to nurture five children. And seeing as there are a number of other people who would relate to my wife in her gender here, let me move on to verses 3, 4, and 5. Because Paul doesn't stop there. He moves on and says, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and keep you from evil. Now, we do need to stay alive, but notice this third request. Request number three pray for protection from satanic attack. The Lord is faithful who will establish you and keep you from evil. Now, evil in, in Greek has a has an article. It's the evil. The evil. What's the evil? Not ISIS. The evil is the evil one. It's Satan. Paul says, Christ is able to preserve you from Satan. And notice that that's one of the great works that Jesus does. Did you see the subject of that? Look in verse 3. Who's the subject of this keeping? It's the Lord. It's Jesus Christ. Know this, that Christ has as one of His chief jobs the protection of His people from Satan. How does he protect us? Well, let me illustrate this from John Bunyan's life. You all know John Bunyan, don't you? This week I'm going to tell the story to the, um, in Bible time of the Pilgrim's Progress. It's a powerful story. John Bunyan wrote that book in prison, of course. But did you know that he was very, very poor? Did you know that in prison he made shoelaces? in order to buy food for his daughter, who was born blind. Did you know he spent 12 years in prison? Of course he did. Did you know that he got out of prison and spent two more years in prison for the same thing? How would you feel if after you endured 12 years in prison, you got out and you felt like, I've made it through the hard time, only to go back for two more years? How would you feel in the first year of that second imprisonment? Not knowing how long it was going to be. John Bunyan wrote an autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And in that autobiography, he writes about how Satan attacked him. He does not say a word about his poverty, his blind daughter. He doesn't say a word about his imprisonment. Though he wrote the book after his imprisonment. What does he explicitly say the attacks of Satan are? He says, the attacks of Satan are his temptations to sin. And this is my statement to you today. Satan is attacking you by drawing you into sin. He's not attacking you by taking your job. Your job might help destroy your soul. I'm not saying it is or isn't. I'm saying that's not the arena in which Satan fights. He wants you to be full of sin. He wants you to be disinterested in holiness. He wants you to say, ah, this doesn't matter. He wants you to be lazy about your spiritual efforts. When you get up to read your Bible, he wants you to say, ah, I don't have to read my Bible. That's legalistic. He wants you to be uncertain. Ah, well, you know, I don't know how valuable spiritual treasures are. He wants you to think a lot about getting that larger plasma screen TV and think a little bit about the fruit of the Spirit. That's the work of Satan in your life. So pray that Christ would deliver you from Satan. Pray that Christ would deliver Amy and I from Satan. This is a command. Not in this verse exactly, but it is in Mark fourteen thirty eight, where Christ says, Pray that you would not enter into temptation. It's a command in the Lord's prayer in Matthew six, fifteen, you know that? Our Father which art in heaven, how does it end? I'm sorry, hallowed be thy name, how does it end? He says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's the same thing. It's a command. John Bunyan learned this lesson. Charles Simeon learned it. He, he was a he was a pastor in England, hundred years after John Bunyan. Charles Simeon wrote this to a friend because Simeon was famous for his suffering. He endured a lot of things in the church. Uh, he was an Anglican, so he was installed at the church. He wasn't voted in. So all the people didn't like him, but the pastor wanted him in there. The Bishop or whoever's at the top. So the people came and locked their pews because they had doors to get in. They locked the pews. So Simeon comes, and the people who do want to hear have to sit on the ground or sit in the aisles, but they have no chairs. Simeon goes out and makes benches with his own money. People come next week and see the pews are still locked. And the people who didn't want in there, they take his benches out and break them before the Sunday morning service, and on and on. This goes on for 20 years before they unlock the pews. So one of Simeon's friends says to him, How do you endure this? And this is what Simeon wrote in the letter. Listen, this is, this is amazing. My dear brother, we must not mind a little suffering for Christ's sake. Well, I'm getting through a hedge. If my head and shoulders are safely through, I can bear the pricking of my legs. <laughs> is your head through? Who is our head but Christ. First Corinthians fifteen. He, sorry, Colossians two. He is head of all things. If you are a believer, Christ is your head. Yeah. If your head is through, He's been crucified. He's risen. He's come back from the dead. He is at the right hand of the Father. He is interceding today. Yeah. If He's doing that, your head is through. Everything here on it's just it's just some thorns on your legs. Relax. In fact, that should make you want to get through the hedge even faster. Pray for us to be protected from Satan. Verse 4. We have confidence in the Lord touching you that you both do and will do the things which we command you. What's the prayer request here? You both. There's two things here. What are the two things after you both? Do and do will do. That's the same verb two times. The only difference is a future. You're supposed to do something and then you're supposed to do something. will do. That's continual. Paul is saying, we are praying for you and we want you to pray for yourself. And we want you to think to yourself that you'll do something and that you'll keep on doing it. We call that perseverance, don't we? Consistency. There's no word in song for Consistency. We call that perseverance. Going on. Start it and then keep going. Don't give up. Isn't the continuing of a virtue the hardest part of it? We can all start. How many of us have started and said, this year I'm going to," And by March, we've forgotten what year it is. How many of us have said, I'm making a commitment. We know what that's like. And Paul says, do it and keep on doing it. Start it and keep on going. Pray this way. Pray that it would happen. This is in the Bible, 1 John 2.19. They went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out from us so that it might be manifest that they were not of us. Continuing is vital. Pray that we would start and keep on. I just talked to Brother Josh before the service and we talked, talking to him. We mentioned some people. And I said, oh, what about? He said, oh, well, they're not here. I don't know their particular story, but my question is this are you persevering and continuing in godliness? And oh, parents, pray for your children this way. The great prayer that I have for my kids is that they would keep on. I know they'll do it now. They're in my house. They love me and respect me. Pray for my kids that they would keep on. And for those of you with broken hearts, pray this verse. Pray that they would do it and keep on doing it. Christianity today says the message do it and keep doing it. The things we command you from verse 4. And the world says that's too authoritarian. We don't like authority. Down with authority. We're all equal. Everyone gets his own blog. I have a blog, by the way. I'm recovering postmodern. Pray for me. But you can't be a Christian without submitting to authority, right? There was a famous pastor once who said, see if you know this pastor. He said, you are my friends if you keep my commandments. You ever heard him preach? He's pretty good. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees by saying, remember the Pharisees, they were tithing of their spices, their mint and the nice and cumin. It's like they would put those little... little um, cups right by their window and the sun would come through and their, their, their herbs would grow. South Africa they say herbs. The herbs would grow up there and they'd come and count the leaves, 26 leaves. So they, they 2.6 exactly and they make a show at the temple and drop in there 2.6 leaves. And what does he say to them? He says in Matthew twenty three twenty three, he says, you pay tithe on your herbs but you've forgotten justice, mercy and faith. These ought ye to have done, justice, mercy, and faith, and not to leave the other undone. Keep on tithing from the herbs, but don't stop this. Christianity has a lot of commands. People don't like it. But it doesn't change the fact that that's what the founder of the religion said. This verse is very well illustrated in the sad case of Ray Bolts, the singer who sang, thank you giving to the Lord maybe you've heard the song for over 30 years he was a professing Christian in 2008 he left his wife and openly declared himself a homosexual history is filled with Judases it's filled with those who start and don't finish our lives are filled with those kinds of things so pray verse 4 Verse number five. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. Let's pause here for a moment. When it says the Lord direct, that the tense of the verb in Greek, actually the mood of the verb, is a wish. It's a desire. It's supposed to say, and may the Lord. You could translate it, oh, may the Lord direct your hearts this way. May He guide you this way. When Paul writes verse 5, he's saying, I wish that your hearts would be directed. Where? Where? Look down to verse 5. Directed where? Into the love of God. He doesn't wish for health or comfort or safety. He says, I'm wishing for you that you would love God. Almost everything Paul says is spiritual. Almost every prayer request is for spiritual things. Now he does pray in verse 2 that we be delivered from wicked men. But almost everything he says, every time he talks about prayer, is praying for spiritual requests. And here, look at this in verse 5. The Lord, that He would direct your hearts into the love of God. Think of the love of God. How do we know that God loves us? Well, think today about what you're going to eat. Most of us for lunch are going to eat tasty things. You're going to have marinara sauce maybe on your spaghetti. Why did God have to make it that way so that tomatoes combined with salt and cilantro and whatever else you have to put in to make that sauce? Why did God make it so that when you eat that, it's pleasurable? To demonstrate his own creativity and his own generosity to just pour out goodness on you and I. He is a father, our father, which art in heaven. And what kind of, what's a real father like? He loves to pour out gifts. He's overflowing with goodness. He's a Niagara Falls of kindness. He made sauces and donuts so that your mouth would go up at the ends. That's His love for us. Think of His love before the foundation of the world. Think of His love in that He has not destroyed us for millennia. Noah lived, what a, I'm sorry, the earth lived 1,600 years before Noah? How many years have we lived since Noah? And there's been no more floods, no more fire. How many of you were saved at 40 years old and God was merciful on you year after year after year that you continued in wickedness? That's love. He didn't have to. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And you should have died. And I should have died. Oh, well, Brother Seth, that doesn't apply to me. That's all well for him. But I was born into a Christian home. I was saved at a young age before I sinned. What love is this that he poured out on you, a Christian mom and dad? That's even greater than the other guy who lived 50 years without judgment. Do you realize how few the people are in the world that have a Christian mom and a Christian dad? What a gift this is. Will you ignore his grace? And say, well, what's your testimony? Oh, well, you know, I was born into a Christian home, so I've saved a young age. So, yeah, That's it? That's it? You mean of the billions and billions of people in the world, God said, I'm going to put you in the home where they love you and pray for you and teach you the Bible. And you say, oh, that's it. Oh, the love of our Father. Paul's saying, I'm praying that your hearts would be directed into that. It goes on, he sends his son, Isaiah fifty three ten. It pleased the Father to bruise him or to crush him. The Father crushes His Son for you and I. What love is this? And so, He loves you even though you continue in your sin. When is the last time you were tempted to worry or fear? Listen to this, listen to this. When is the last time you were tempted to worry or fear, but those fears left you? Because you returned to meditate on the love of God for you. If you can't think of a time, then you really need verse 5. Last phrase in verse 5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Now again, we have an issue here because the word waiting should be in italics. You know what italics are, right? We turn the words on an angle there. Look back in verse 2. The word men is in italics. You see that there? What does it mean when a word is in italics? Added by the translators, right? It's not in the Greek text, okay? The word men in verse 2 is not in the Greek text. They had to add it to make sense of the word in English. That's fine. In verse 5, the word waiting should be in italics because it's not in the Greek text. The translators thought that Paul was talking about the second coming here because he was talking about the second coming in chapter 2. So they added that. I think rather they should have left it out and it should say, the Lord direct your hearts into the patience of Christ. The faithfulness, the steadfastness of Christ. That's what Paul's praying here. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's great love for you and into the amazing patience and fortitude and strength of Jesus Christ. How does Christ have strength? Hebrews 12 says, Consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against themselves, lest ye be wearied. So you look to Christ, and you look to Christ who, when he was led in front of his persecutors, he answered them not a word. Look to Christ, who is like a lamb before his shears. Look at Christ, who suffered unto death outside the camp. And then I, I, I quoted just a moment from Hebrews twelve. Oh, consider Christ, Hebrews twelve verse one. Verse four of that passage. After it says consider Christ, it says, "For you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin." He's saying, "Look to Christ, because Christ did." Have patience until they took His blood. How many of you and I have fought with our sin to the point where we lost blood over it? And that's what he's saying here. Our Savior endured and was patient and was faithful and was steadfast until the point that they took His life. May the Lord direct your hearts to see that. But we want to pass over these verses and say they're not very practical. We want to move off these verses and say give me the five steps or the three steps or give me something that I can relate to. And I want to settle your hearts today on this. What could be more practical than praying the way Paul tells us to pray? If you have a prayer list, can I challenge you to take your prayer list And set it aside in favor of these five verses for a week or a month. And for a week or a month, pray for all the people that you pray for according to these five things. What things? Verse one, the word would run, the gospel would run. Verse two, missionaries would be kept alive for the sake of evangelism. Verse three, you would not fall into sin. Verse 4, persevere in obedience. Verse 5, that our hearts would be settled on the love of God and the example of our Savior. The practical challenge today is to think this way and to pray this way. That God would answer the things He's promised to give us. Our son broke his arm in March. March two. Caleb our 8 year old he'll be glad to show you the scars if you want to see them the doctor was an orthopedic surgeon a specialist in the big city we had to go down to and he said um, it was the worst he'd seen in 35 years Amy put it on Facebook and many people prayed for him and we're grateful for that probably many of you did we are so thankful for the people that prayed for us and we're so grateful that it looks as if he's going to completely heal and have use of his left arm again Do we pray for these kinds of of spiritual things with the same intensity with which we pray for someone that we love who's sick or hurt? I would ten times rather have my son locked in a wheelchair for all of his life from age eight to age 88 if these five things were answered in his life more so than have a healthy body without these five spiritual graces. Let's close our eyes for prayer.